Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and tonight is the night. The day has finally come, finally, in which Tom Crean will almost certainly be coaching his last game as the head basketball coach of the University of Georgia men's basketball program. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I am recording this before the game tips off. It's 6.41 p.m. on a Wednesday night. We tip off around 9.30-ish tonight, and I, I guess we could win. We play Vanderbilt. They're not great, but they have somebody we don't have. They have Scotty Pippen Jr., who has been a dynamite scorer all year long. Cario Quindo has been really good for us lately, but he hasn't played to the level of Scotty Pippen Jr., at least on the offensive side of the ball with that kind of consistency. So I guess like, yeah, maybe possibly we could luck up and win a basketball game today. But if you've been paying attention, you know that's exceedingly unlikely. If you're like me and you've tortured yourself all season long and continue to subject yourself to whatever that is that they've been putting out there for us to see this year, that product, you know that it's exceedingly unlikely for us to win this basketball game. I mean, we're 1-17, in guys, 1-17 in in conference play. But even if we do somehow luck up and win, look, we're going to lose in the next round. So either he gets fired Thursday on the 10th or he gets fired Friday on the 11th. By the end of the week, Tom Crean's time as the men's basketball coach at the University of Georgia is done. And normally I don't like to really bask in the glow of a, of a coach getting fired because that's tough for him and his family. But honestly, I, as I've gotten older, maybe it's just me aging. As I've gotten older, I've gotten less and less sympathy for these guys, especially with how the buyouts have increased over the years. He'll be just fine. Sure, it, it'll hurt the old ego a little bit. His, his kids are going to have to hear it a little bit. Although most of them are pretty much grown now, except for I think his youngest daughter. But look, man, he'll be just fine. I'm not going to go out of my way to hammer Tom Crean, but I'm also not going to sit here and defend the guy. He's dug his own grave. He had his chance. He straight up ran this program into the ground. And and look, we were obviously not an elite program or even like a really good or even kind of good program before he got here. But at least we were stable. We weren't making tournaments consistently, but we were a kind of stable-ish program. We were like around the 20-win mark. We were kind of competitive at times with Mark Fox. We, this program was not like in the dirt, but that's where we are now. He drove this program straight down the ground. So I'm not going to sit here and, and defend the guy. It is what it is, and, and he's going to be gone because we are putting the finishing touches on 
arguably the worst season in Georgia basketball history. And you guys know this is not a program where they very rich basketball tradition. So let's say in something when it's the worst season in Georgia basketball program history. I mean, it's the lowest winning percentage overall since 1951 in over half a century. It's shaping up to be, if we don't, I mean, if you look at just a regular season conference record, the lowest conference winning percentage ever, ever, ever in the history of our program. So this guy has dug his own grave. It is what it is. And I'm just glad it's over at this point. But we knew this day was coming. We knew. We've been waiting all year. We were hoping it would speed up and get here. But it is finally here. It has arrived. But I don't want to waste any more time talking about Tom Green. That guy is gone. He, he's an afterthought. He's a thing of the past. I want to grasp at that oh-so-ephemeral hope and, and kind of look towards the future here a little bit today. And I, I, I did this a little bit last month. Last month, I did a hot board episode where I broke down potential candidates. I broke them down in, into tiers. I just throw, I threw a bunch of names against the wall, guys. And, and I really, what I did is I watch a lot of college basketball. I probably watch on an average week, probably f- upwards near 15 or so college basketball games. I watch at least one or two every night during the week. They don't really have any on Friday, but like Monday through Thursday. And then on Saturday, I'm watching college basketball all day long. I probably sit there and watch six or seven games on a Saturday. So I'm very familiar with all the up-and-coming coaches, all the names out there, and the potential candidates, the guys that you hear kind of thrown out there for all these jobs. And so I threw most of them out there and kind of broke them into tears on who I would be most excited with and who I thought was realistic and not as realistic. And I had some fun with that. I love college basketball, and being a Georgia college basketball fan, I don't get a lot of opportunities to talk college basketball because we're not ever any good. And I know you guys don't care when we're not ever any good. We don't have that kind of fan base. Like the Georgia football fan base, even if we're not good, people still care. It's carved into our DNA. It's the part of the fiber of who we are. But that's not the case for basketball. People care when we're good. I mean, the stack is rocking when we're good, but when we're not, like it's not even on the radar for people. And I get that. So I don't want to like shove it down your throat if you're not into it and we're not having a great season. So I didn't talk much of it this year or last year or really any recent year. But I do love college basketball. And I was glad I got a chance to do that last month. And I'm glad I get a chance to sit here and look into the future a little bit today. So uh, I, I did that hot board. And I my plan was to come on here and further refine those tiers. That's what I was planning on really the past couple of weeks heading into the end of the season. But that was before Chip Towers of the AJC released an article earlier this week reporting that our basketball coaching search, which is already well underway, we know that. We've hired a a coaching search firm to help assist with the process. And according to Chip Towers, that search has really narrowed it down to four names. And those are the names until I hear more names reported, like some hard reporting on. I don't want to speculate unless I hear. I'm going to limit most of the conversation to those four names today. All right. But before I get to those names, and most of you probably already read the article, I do first want to recap what I'm looking for in a new coach. And I I laid this out on that episode last month. So a lot of you probably heard that. You remember that? So I'll make this really quick. I don't want to repeat myself too much. I know I do that sometimes. But I also know that there are some out there who might be listening today and might be more interested in what I have to say about college basketball and Georgia basketball because the season's over and we're about to fire Tom Crean. So I do want to repeat myself real quick and kind of just summarize that for people who did not get a chance to hear that the first time around. So a couple things I'm looking for a new head coach as I break down these four names here in a second. Number one, Do you have a history of turning a program around? That is critical, I think, when you're talking about taking on this job here at the University of Georgia with our basketball program. And it hurts me to say that. I don't like to admit 
that our job is very much a rebuilding job. But guys, we have to look reality directly in the face. This is 1 million percent a rebuilding job. And that might even be putting it kindly. I don't think that really does justice to the kind of job that they're going to be stepping into. And I think most of the people I talk to, and I think probably most of you out there, and even if we haven't conversed or touched base on social media, I think a lot of us out there think this Georgia basketball program has potential, specifically based on where it's located, the very fertile recruiting grounds here in the state of Georgia, the metro Atlanta area, just a stone's throw away. And the fact that we do have a major university, we are in the SEC, we have this incredible football program, which should be a selling point. We live in this amazing college town here in Athens, Georgia, the greatest college town in the history of the world, a place that I very proudly call home. So I think, I think, speaking for myself, that this program has a lot of potential. And I think a lot of you out there would agree with me, maybe to different degrees, but I think you would agree on some level that this program has a lot of potential. But the thing is, even me, a guy who runs a Georgia podcast, even I have to admit that we are a very long way away from realizing that potential. When I think about where our program is right now, where it has been for a while, I think I would liken it to all those, and just hear me out on this, I would liken it to all those ugly duckling rom-coms, you know, the ugly duckling trope, right? Like, oh, very ugly, no one likes you, not attractive, but like deep down there's some potential. I think about that, all those rom-coms from the 90s, early 2000s, where the female lead is, is like nerdy or weird or just generally unpopular, like no one likes him, it's made fun of, it's an easy target, all those kind of things, right? You know what I'm talking about. But if you look at her in the right light, if you see her in just the right light, you see the potential. But you also know, even though there's potential there, it's going to take one hell of a makeover and a lot of effort to pull that potential out. So think like, let's go back to, like to Clueless. Like think about Ty from Clueless, right? Or Rachel Lee Cook from She's All That. Or Lindsay Lohan from Mean Girls. Even Drew Barrymore from Never Been Kissed. And, and so many others. The list goes on, on, on. And please don't ask me. Don't ask me how I know all that. I watched a lot of rom-coms in the, in the 90s, early 2000s. But whatever. But that's kind of where I see our program. That's, that's what I think of when I think of our basketball program. I think that's where we are. We are the ugly duckling. That's who we are. We have to own that. Right now, we are the ugly duckling that has potential way down there somewhere, but it doesn't take the right guy, that special someone to pull that potential out, right? It doesn't take the Freddie Prince Jr. to pull that out. And that's the job Josh Brooks has in front of him. He has to find our Freddie Prince Jr. He's got to find that guy. And, and that's what they like with the right hire guys, you can turn a basketball program around pretty quickly, much more quickly than you can a football, which because it's just a numbers thing. You don't have, to have as many guys, you don't have, to have as many recruiting classes. You get one or two elite dudes, all of a sudden, whole new ball game. So it can happen. We've seen it happen. We, heck, we, we see it with Auburn. It took, it took a couple of years of Bruce Pearl. He's got that thing rolling now. So it, we know that there is a blueprint for that. You just got to find your Freddie Prince Jr. You got to find that guy. And that's easier said than done. So I think you need a guy who has a history, has verifiable evidence that he can turn a program around because that's what this job is going to entail. We know that. The second thing here, this is almost number one for me is a positive culture. And what I said on the episode last month was you got to have like a player's coach, but it's more than just that. You have to have a, a player's coach, yes. But the more I think about this, you have to have a coach that just creates a generally positive culture. And think about Kirby Smart, right? Like I mean, Kirby Smart's hard on his players. I'm not saying that you can't hold them accountable. You have to hold your players accountable. That's coaching one-on-one, of course. But you have to be able to hold your, your players accountable in a way that they still understand and know that you care about them and you love them and you have their best interest at heart. 
And I think a guy like Tom Crean, I don't know if the players really thought about that. I mean, but Kirby Smart, think about the skull sessions that he put in place this past offseason to where everyone got to know each other's why. And they just, they, they actually cut out meeting time, like X and O meeting time to just talk to the players, to have the players talk to each other and just grow closer and bond. Kirby's huge on culture. And I think it absolutely played a massive role in us winning a national title this year. I mean, of course, we had super talented players as we saw the NFL Combine this past weekend, but it's more than just that. Just that. A lot of teams have talented players, but they all don't win at that level. I mean, look at LSU this past year. I know, you know, they weren't as talented as us, but there's still a lot of talent on that team. All those guys started opting out early in the year. Things spiraled out of control. It was toxic with Coach O. They didn't have a positive culture and they spiraled down the drain. We didn't have that problem because we have a positive culture that Kirby Smart has engendered within our program. I think that's critical. I think it's absolutely critical. I mean, think about Tom Crean again. Like, just think back to like his first year. You guys remember this? I think I'm pretty sure it was his first year. Yeah, absolutely, it was his first year. So was asked, I forget which game it was, but after one of the games, he was asked about the loss and you know how much blame he shoulders. And I think he says something along the lines of, "I'm going to take the blame from this loss because quote I decide to keep these guys around." I think that last part was like a, a legit, like straight on verbatim quote. I decide to keep these guys around, completely throwing those guys under the bus. Well, you know, they suck, but that's my fault for keeping them here. Are you kidding me? What kind of culture are you building? Yeah, there's holding guys accountable, and then there's throwing them under the bus publicly like that. I mean, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. And things like that create this kind of culture where everybody wants to transfer out if they have an opportunity, as we saw after last year, because all those guys stuck around last year, the Kamaras, the Wheelers, the Katie Johnsons, this is probably a tournament team. Honestly, probably a tournament team. Now you have Tom Creed as your coach, so maybe not. Maybe he could have he, he would have led this program straight to the ground regardless, but had a much better chance. That's a tournament caliber team at the very least. But none of them stuck around. They all left with a mass exodus because we didn't have a positive culture. No one wanted to be around here anymore because Tom Crean is who Tom Crean is and he created the culture he created. I'm thinking, like what happened with our assistant coach taking a swipe at another staffer a couple of weeks ago? That doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, you're losing a lot of games, but if you have positive culture, you typically don't see things like that happening, right? You don't catch a coach on a hot mic criticizing his staff and his players. You don't have that happen. So I think this is really important. And I think it becomes even more imperative in the transfer portal era because now players just leave. We saw last year, they could just leave. You have a mass exit. If they don't like you, if they don't think you care about them, if they think they can be better off somewhere else, they want to play for someone else, they don't have to stay out of here anymore. They're gone. So it's really important to be a player's coach and create that positive program culture so that number one, you can retain the players. And number two, you want to attract other teams' players. You want to attract the other best players. I mean, we got we lost a bunch of guys. We also got a bunch of guys from the transfer portal. Problem was we didn't get the right guys. We didn't get good players. Like we got a Quindo. Quindo is really good. Other than that, like, I mean, we got a bunch of like role players that are thrust in the starting roles, and that's not <laughs> going to be a recipe for success. So you got to retain those players. You got to attract them. And to do that, you got to have a positive program culture. I mean, you just have to. You simply have to. And then finally, uh, and there's more things. It's just, I'm just going to leave it at three here today. But recruiting is really important. Obviously, I, I just like I say in football, players are the number one ingredient for a championship caliber program, for any kind of success. You got the talent. You gotta have, you gotta coach them, you gotta develop them, all that kind of stuff. Sure, that's true too. But you gotta have the players. The coaching doesn't really matter as much if you don't have the players. Now, the thing is, nowadays in the transfer portal era, it doesn't have to be like recruiting guys out of high school. You can be an ace getting guys out of the transfer portal, which is a guy like Steve Forbes from Way Forest, who did an outstanding job of that this year. And this is important, like the transfer portal, being able to recruit that, again, it comes back to positive program culture, because then it's really important in hoops because 
with one or two players, you can change the entire program because you only have five guys on the court at one time. You don't have a, you don't have 22 starters. You don't have 11 on offense, 11 on defense. You got five guys out there. So if you get one or two of them that are pretty good, then all of a sudden you might be contending now, all right? You might be contending for a spot in the NCAA tournament. You can turn around at the snap of a finger. It absolutely can happen. So you've got to be able to recruit 100%. You can't discount that at all. You got to be able to get players. But that would be my, my three top criteria. Someone's got evidence of turning a program around, positive culture that you can build within the program, and a, a good recruiter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, so let's get to those four names that Chip Towers reported. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. That our search is down to right now, and that's Andy Enfield out of Southern California, Steve Forbes from Wake Forest. Dennis Gates from Cleveland State, and Jonas Hayes, the only assistant coach on the list from Xavier University. Is there University of Xavier? I'm going to go Xavier University. I think it's Xavier University. We'll go with that. The Musketeers. That's what I'm talking about. Cincinnati, Ohio. So it's those four guys. Now, I want to start with Jonas Hayes because I know there's a groundswell of support for this guy within the Georgia fan base, and I did address this back in, in February. But again, for some people who have not heard this, and just to reiterate my point, I will address this again here first before I get to the other coaches. And let me start by saying that I really like Jonas Hayes. I really like the guy. And I do think he has a lot of things going for him. He's a young coach. He's personable. I think he would build a really positive culture within the basketball program, which as I laid out was one of the criteria that I'm certainly looking at in this next coaching hire that we're going to make. I think he would be a home run in that regard. I think he would definitely create a positive environment. All the players that play for him, most of them that, I, that at least speak publicly, rave about the guy. They love him. So I think that's certainly something that he has going for him. I think would be a reason to at least consider him to be our next head coach. I also think he'd be a good recruiter. He has obviously ties with the AAU circuit here in the state of Georgia, has ties in the high school coaching ranks here in the state of Georgia, having coached here, having played here. Obviously, all those things are true. 
So if Jonas Hayes does end up being the guy, if he is the guy that we ultimately hire to replace Tom Crean, I don't think it would be a disaster. I would not be bashing Josh Brooks over the head for that hire. I would not come on this show and do that because I get it. Yes, he's an alumnus. He loves university. He wants the job. He's a younger guy. He spent time here as an assistant. He gets Georgia. He gets the university. He gets the Athens area. He is an Atlanta guy. Played here, coached here, all those things. Younger guy, players coach, which is one of my criteria. All of that is true. And that's why I would be open to the possibility that it could end up being a really good hire. In no way would I dismiss it out of hand. However, saying that, I am also of the mind that Jonas Hayes simply cannot be our first choice. Jonas Hayes cannot be our second choice or even our third choice. Jonas Hayes is a fantastic backup option. But I simply do not get this idea that, I mean, you see it all over the place on social media, on message boards. And look, I know that's not everybody. I know that's like this carnival funhouse of reality. And it usually is a very vocal minority. But there is a vocal minority out there that is essentially saying that Jonas Hayes is the guy. Make the hire tomorrow. He's the guy. Don't interview anybody else. He's the one. He's a home run hire. And I just, I don't see it that way. And this is what I said last month when we did the the hot board episode. Here would be my test for how you should think about the Jonas Hayes hire right now and why I don't think he should be the first choice or the second choice or the third choice. Ask yourself this, guys. If Jonas Hayes did not play at the University of Georgia, if he was not a quote-unquote Georgia guy, would anyone in this fan base even know who he is? Would anyone in this fan base be clamoring for Jonas Hayes to be the obvious choice or even to be on our list of guys to interview? The answer, as far as I'm concerned, is flat out no. Unequivocally, no. If he did not play at the University of Georgia, no one would be considering him as an option. No one would even have him on their radar. And I don't say this to bash Jonas, but I mean, the, the reality is, guys, he tried to get the Western Carolina job. He could not get the Western Carolina job. Western Carolina wouldn't hire him, but Georgia should? Like, he should be the number one option for the University of Georgia when Western Carolina wouldn't hire him? Again, I'm not saying it couldn't work. I'm not saying that at all. There's there's certainly a possibility where it could be a fantastic hire. He would do a great job. He'd come here. He'd kill it. He'd get all these great recruits. He'd coach them up, develop them, have his great positive culture, attract the top transfers in the country, and this program could get rolling. That's certainly a possibility. I'm not going to discount that possibility. But you also have to acknowledge that it's an extremely risky hire as well. The fact is, this guy has zero years of head coaching experience anywhere. While I do think that he would create a positive program culture and he would be a player's coach, which I do think is really important, he doesn't really satisfy at all my number one criteria, evidence that he can turn a program around. He hasn't had a chance to. Now, maybe he could. He hasn't had a chance. That's fair. He hasn't had a chance. So you can't say he can't do it. But... We don't have any evidence that he can. And the the popular retort to that position I just laid out and the idea that there should be some skepticism behind just hiring Jonas Hayes blindly and say, hey, this is our guy without really strongly considering other people just because he went to Georgia, people point to Kirby Smart. And they say, well, why can't he be the, the basketball version of Kirby Smart? Guys, 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 the trajectory that Kirby Smart was on as an assistant coach under Nick Saban is not even in the same stratosphere as the 
trajectory Jonas Hayes has been on as an assistant coach. What's the similarity? Yeah, I know they both played at Georgia. They both were assistant coaches at the Power 5 level. That's about as far as the comparisons go. Kirby was instrumental in Alabama's success under Nick Saban, getting that program established and winning multiple national titles. How many national titles was Kirby a part of there? Four, three or four? At least three national titles with Nick Saban. If you go back to LSU, I guess four, I want to say. Something like that. Multiple national titles. Jonas Jennings hasn't sniffed a title of any sort as an assistant coach. Heck, he's barely been a part of NCAA tournament teams. You know, I think he was here for one, was it 2010 with Mark Fox? They haven't made the tournament at Xavier. They might, not make, they might not make the tournament this year. They were on track to, but they have fallen off the face of the earth at the end of the season. And he does have a reputation as a good recruiter. I guess you say that's another similarity. Him and Kirby both had good recruiting reputations. But again, he has landed nowhere near the caliber players that Kirby was landing routinely when he was an assistant coach. Now, of course, you can say, well, he also had Nick Saban there. He's recruiting Alabama. Fair. That's a fair point. But the fact is, Kirby had far more experience in far, far, far more success as an assistant coach than Jonas Hayes has to this point in his career. And Kirby Smart was wanted by just about every team that was hiring people. At least he was in the conversation, right? For years and years, it was like, when's Kirby going to take a job? For how many years was he the hot assistant coach name across the country? And he waited until he got the right job. He was about to take the South Carolina job before we came to our senses and, and ultimately moved on from Mark Rick and hired Kirby Smart, made the best decision that we'd made as a program maybe ever. But I'll go back to what I said about Jonas Hayes. Who is trying to hire Jonas Hayes right now? Who is even contemplating hiring Jonas Hayes outside of the fan base here at the University of Georgia? No one. The answer is no one. And look, we might get turned down by everyone else that we're going after. That's certainly a very realistic possibility. And if that is the case, having Jonas Hayes as a fallback option, I think is something that I could get behind. But again, it can't just be a pro forma thing like it was with Kirby. And let's be real. With Kirby, when we fired Mark Rick, we knew we were going after Kirby. And that decision was made above the, the athletic director's pay grade. Like, let's just be honest there. We've talked about that many times. Seth Emerson wrote a book about that, or at least that was part of the book. Like, that was not Greg McGarry making that decision. So... That was, that was kind of already done. But this can't be one of those things. This got to be one of those things where we fire Tom Crean and the next day, like, we've already made a decision. It's Jonas Hayes. We're not really concerned anybody else. We're going with our Georgia guy. I just don't feel comfortable with that. I think there is a possibility that we could get somebody with more experience that fits more the criteria that I am looking for than what Jonas Hayes fits. And look, as I know where we are, again, let's go back to what I said earlier. Let's be realistic. This is a massive rebuilding job. We have to know who we are. And I know who we are. Trust me. I watch all these games. I suffer through it. I know exactly who we are as a basketball program. I hate it. It sucks. I want more, but I know who we are and I know where we are right now. I get that. And I get that we might not have many other options better than Jonas Hayes in his resume. But guys, Power 5 programs just don't really hire assistant coaches. It just, it's very, very rare. Sometimes it happens. I mean, I guess you could say Tommy Lloyd at Arizona, who might be the coach of the year in college basketball this year, but he was the long, he was, he was like Kirby Smart. He was a longtime assistant under a fantastic coach, one of the best coaches in the game, Mark Few at Gonzaga, and he was instrumental in their recruiting success, especially their overseas recruiting success, which Gonzaga has been fantastic at for years. He coached in Final Fours, got them to championship games, all of that. So he was far more like Kirby-esque than what Jonas Hayes has been in terms of like his pedigree and his resume as an assistant coach. He gets hired by Arizona, which is a fantastic program, and they might win the national title this year. They are that good. They have a legitimate shot to win the title. 
And I guess you could point at Mark Adams at Texas Tech. You know, Chris Beard was the coach of Texas Tech. He gets the offer from Texas. He moves on to his alma mater. And they elevated Mark or they elevated Mark Adams from assistant coach, basically the defensive guru for Texas Tech, to head coach. And they've had a really good year. Texas Tech is a very good basketball team. I think they could potentially be a Final Four caliber team the way they play defense. But Mark Adams is like a legend in like Texas coaching ranks. That guy is much older. I think he's in his like late 50s, early 60s. He's been around the block, far more experienced and far more respect nationally than a guy like Jonas Hayes. And I'm sure there are a couple other examples here and there, but those are the two that come to mind. But it's just very, very rare. It's very rare. And look, I know that we are not a great program right now. And I know that we are at the bottom of the Power Five. That's really kind of where we are. It's in Oregon State, I guess, right now, who like inexplicably has fewer wins than we do in the year. I think they have three wins this year. Whew, that's tough. It's bad for us. That is very bad for what I think they made the Elite Eight last year, and most of their starters returning. That's tough. So I get where we are, and we might have to settle for a guy. But... Let's make no mistake about it. If we do end up hiring Jonas Hayes, we are settling. It might be a settle that really works out well, but it's a risk. It's a major risk, and it might be the position we're in that we have to take that risk. I recognize that, but I think we at least have to pursue other options, make other phone calls, make other guys tell us no before we just say, hey, Jonas, it's your job. Okay, so... I think that's enough. I think I've hammered the point home. Those are my thoughts on Jonas Hayes. Let's go to the next guy on the list that Chip Towers put out in his report that's also not a Power 5 coach. He's a head coach, but not a Power 5 head coach. And that would be Dennis Gates from Cleveland State. I would really like this hire. I think he would check a lot of the boxes that Jonas Hayes checks in terms of being young, players, coach, create a positive culture within your program, great recruiter, all those things, but he also has something that Jonas does not have, and that's head coaching experience. Not the Power 5 level, but head coaching experience nonetheless at Cleveland State. And he's done a great job at Cleveland State. No, they did not make it to the NCAA tournament this year. They lost in the semifinals of the Horizon League tournament. So they're they're out, but they had a great regular season. He's still a really good coach. It was actually old Dennis Felton who was at Cleveland State. He was coaching under Dennis Felton at Cleveland State, and then Delton got, Felton got fired because, I mean, Dennis Felton's not a great college basketball coach. And Begay's didn't get to take over the job because Felton got fired really late. He didn't take that job over until late July when he got that job a couple years back. And at one point, since it was just a, a mess of a situation there, he had fewer than five scholarship players ready for the 2019-2020 season. And he took that situation, this like near ridiculous situation, and flipped it into an instantly tournament berth in year two. To me... That's proof of a couple things. Number one, that's proof that he can turn a program around and do it really quickly. And it's also proof of his recruiting pedigree. This guy can go out and he can get guys that he needs, not just like fill out a roster, but actually to win basketball games and to take you to the NCAA tournament. And one of the things I also love about Dennis Gates, the reason why I'm pretty confident that he's will be a great recruiter, even at the Power 5 level, and he hasn't had to do that, I get that, at least as a head coach. One of the reasons I, I, I think that he'd be a great recruiter and also I think he'd be a great guy to build a positive culture and be a player's coach and attract some of the top transfers. He has a really strong reputation in doing all those things, having worked for Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. He's a Leonard Hamilton guy. And Leonard Hamilton has been recruiting lights out for, at Florida State for years and years and years. Florida State's been one of the premier programs in the ACC over the past like five, six, seven years. That's what they've become. Now, this year they had a ton of injuries and they kind of fell off a little bit. But, I mean, they've won the ACC regular season. They've won the ACC tournament. They've made runs in the NCAA tournament. And Leonard Hamilton's old guys. They don't look that old, but Leonard Hamilton's like pushing 80. So, I mean, he's he is like the figurehead 
but he has a bunch of young guys that have been coaching under and they're kind of leading the charge in the recruiting front. Charlton Young is one of those guys that's been doing that for a while at Florida State. But that's what Dennis Gates was too before he got the job at Cleveland State, okay? But again, he has what Jonas doesn't have. He has that head coaching experience and he's been very successful as a head coach. He made the NCAA tournament last year and his second year as a head coach and this year won 20 games, fell just short in their conference title or the conference tournament but still won 120 games in year three. And this guy is an up-and-coming star in the profession. So if he ends up being the guy, if we strike out on some of the bigger names and the power five coaching names out there, I think Dennis Gates, I don't think this would necessarily be settling. I know I, I, he might not be first choice. I guess by definition, that's settling. But it's certainly a step up from Jonas Hayes in terms of having to settle for a guy because he does have the head coaching experience. So I would be I would be very excited if it's Dennis Gates. I think he's, he's a guy that could get players in here. I think he could get them in from the high school ranks. I think he could get those guys in from the transfer portal. I think he would build a great culture within the program. He has evidence of turning a program around, getting programs to the NCAA tournament. So I think he would be a great hire. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, there are two other names that Chip Towers reported that our search was down to. At least now, these things can always change. We can get turned down by all these guys. Maybe someone else pops in. Maybe someone else expressed interest in the job. Who knows how that goes down? But the two other names that Chip Towers reported that were in this search, that were still being strongly considered, being pursued, were Andy Enfield from Southern California and Steve Forbes from Wake Forest. Now, neither one of those guys were on my initial hot board when I did this back in February. There was a reason for that. I had heard both names mentioned. Problem for me was I didn't take either name seriously. The reason I didn't take Andy Enfield seriously, let's start there. Andy Enfield, it's it was rumored, it's been rumored for a while that he might potentially want out of Southern California. He didn't love how there was no fans there all of last year and portions of this year at home games. Didn't like how that was handled. Doesn't feel like he has great support there, whether it's administratively, also with the fan base. It's just not a big deal there, right? So he was looking to maybe go somewhere else where he would get more support, more money, all those kind of things. It's a bigger deal, all that. So I knew that he would be a guy that you might want to look at. I just didn't take it seriously because I knew that Maryland fired Mark Turgeon. And Maryland's also looking for a, a new head coach. Maryland is a far better basketball program with a far better basketball tradition, really not even the same universe than we are. Again, hate to admit that. I don't don't want that to always be the case, but it's the case, right? And there were rumors that Andy Enfield had some ties there and that Maryland, if he left USC, would be a place he was strongly considering. So that's why he wasn't on my initial hot board because I just didn't see it as realistic. I thought if you're going to go like big time like that, I thought maybe Sean Miller doesn't have a job right now. Like If you were going to get like a, a guy with Power 5 experience that's had success at the Power 5 level, I thought it had to be a guy like Sean Miller. Kind of like when Auburn got Bruce Pearl, like where they had something go on in their background. Also kind of when we got Tom Cream, whether it was they didn't have success at a previous stop, but they've had success at other points in their career, or maybe there's some of the NCAA, then we'd have to get a guy like that if we were, if we were going to get an established like Power 5 coaching name. And Andy Enfield just, it just didn't 
seemed to me as a possibility that we're going to get a guy like that who is an established head coach. He's done a fantastic job at USC. He's got 21 or more wins in six of the last seven seasons. done a fantastic job, a great job at USC. But I just didn't really see it as realistic because number one, I wasn't sure he would leave USC. And if he did, I felt probably for a place like Maryland and Georgia with our lack of basketball tradition and just the shape our program's in. Even though there is potential there, right? With the ugly duckling, there's potential. I didn't think he'd want to take on that rebuilding job. But money does talk and there are rumors. I've heard rumors around town. I don't have any like hard evidence of this. I don't have anyone that I, I trust to a great degree tell me this, but there are rumors around town. You hear people talking that we're willing to offer upwards near like $5 million. That's, you know, about $2 million plus, or a million and a half to $2 million more than what we've been paying Tom Crean. So money talks, and $5 million in Athens, Georgia, goes a lot further than $5 million if they were to try to match in Los Angeles, California. And if we were able to some way, somehow, if Josh Brooks pulls his magic and we were able to land Andy Enfield, I would be over the freaking moon. That would be a home run Higher. Don't forget, this is the guy back when the Florida Gulf Coast made that run of the Sweet 16 years and years ago. Now, man, it was a while ago now. But when they made that run, that was Andy Infield. He parlayed that run at Florida Gulf Coast into the job at USC. And again, 21 or more wins, six of the last seven years for the Trojans. Would be a fantastic hire. He's built that program up. Now, like, I'm not saying that Southern California was a disaster when he got there. Like, they weren't like in the worst shape ever. But when he took that job, he took the job over from Kevin O'Neill. They'd won 20 games total in the two previous years before Andy Enfield took over. And his first year, yeah, you know, it was a transition year, 11 and 21, and then 12 and 20 in year two. But year three, they were humming. 21 wins, 26 wins, 24 wins, 22 wins, 25 wins, 25 wins right now, and counting this season. He's also a really good recruiter. I mean, Southern California, I know like USC, LA, that that scene, that vibe, it can be a, a popular place to recruit to. There's some talent in California, but he's landed some big guy, some big time names like... Evan Mobley, for instance, the guy who's going to be the NBA Rookie of the Year this year, no doubt about it. He was a one-and-done guy with them last year. He's landed guys like that, a bunch of guys. He's landed big-time five-star players. He's a very, very good recruiter. He's a guy that's built a positive culture within his program. Players seem to enjoy playing for him. He has more of a reputation as more of a player's coach than a tyrant. You can't be like that anymore. So he hits a lot of the criteria. He kind of turned that program around. I don't know if I would say he turned it around because it wasn't in like the place that our program's in, but it, it wasn't a good place until that job over 20 wins over the course of two seasons. And, you know, within three years, he has them 20 wins and now six last seven years, 21 or more wins. So yeah, I think Andy Enfield would be an absolute home run hire. I just, I still don't see it happening. And, and he actually, reports came out today that he did sign an extension today with Southern California. Maybe that's what all the rumors were about anyway. Maybe it's him just angling for an extension for a raise, all that. Who knows? We'll see. But he did sign an extension. So does that take him out of the running? Probably. Uh, it's not unprecedented for a coach to sign an extension and then turn around and go somewhere else. Maybe it's a way of just locking himself up in case like another job he's pursuing doesn't work out because maybe he doesn't know if he's going to get the Maryland job or the Georgia job or whatever. So he wants to go ahead and take care of himself when he can while they're offering him an extension just in case he ends up staying there. So it's possible that he could still be in play. However, it's certainly unlikely. And you just don't know with it being a private university, you don't know what the de- what the details of the contract are. They don't release that. So you don't know if there was an, an additional buyout. They raised the buyout. You just don't know what it is. But when they sign the extension, usually that means he's now out of play. He's off the market, but not necessarily. It's not unprecedented for a guy to then turn around and go somewhere else. 
But I still think it's very much a long shot for us to get a guy like Andy Infield. But I'll give Josh Brooks credit. He's shown in his short time here in Athens that he's going to take swings at big time names. He's not going to just settle. If we have to settle, we have to settle. But he's going to take swings. You look at the track situation. Petros moves on. But no worries. Josh Brooks on the case. He goes out and he miraculously, I felt like, hired Carol Smith Gilbert from USC. who's a national title winning coach at USC. Gets her to Athens to replace Petros, and our track and field head coaching job is in as good a hands as it has been in a while. I mean, Petros was awesome, don't get me wrong, but you don't really lose much when you go from Petros to, to Smith Gilbert, who has a fantastic track record, no pun intended there, as a, as a head track and field coach. So he's taking big swings, and I think he's going to try to take a big swing here, and you got to give him credit for that. Does it mean he's going to hit it out of the park? He's actually going to land it? No, not necessarily, but I admire him and I applaud him for at least giving it a shot. And that brings us to the last name list, and that's Steve Forbes from Wake Forest. And this is a guy, I actually heard more about Steve Forbes than I had about Andy Enfield, but I still left Forbes off of my initial hotboard list for a reason. I had some people that DM me afterwards, like, hey, why, what do you think about Steve Forbes? Why wasn't he on your list? And and I, I get it, guys. He's a great, a great name to throw out there, and I... I had heard his name, and I would have, I still would be extraordinarily happy if we ended up hiring a guy like Steve Forbes. But the reason I left him off of the initial list, it wasn't so much that I didn't think we could land him from Wake Forest, because Wake Forest is not in a position financially, really, to compete with us. If we're willing to offer him $5 million, that might be a reach for a guy like that, but you could still offer him that. I don't think Wake Forest would be able to match that or even want to match that institutionally. And it's a really small school. Yeah, it's in the ACC, but they don't have a big fan base at all. There's not a ton of support there, so I thought there was a chance that he would be interested in the Georgia job. But the reason I left him off was because of his background. He had a show cause a couple years back. He was actually part of the coaching staff at Tennessee with Bruce Pearl when Bruce Pearl went down for all the impermissible contact with recruits and got a three-year show cause penalty himself, and that's why he got fired from Tennessee. Steve Forbes was a part of that. He was kind of collateral damage, and his show cause was technically for, quote, violating the principles of cooperation and honesty with the NCAA because he just didn't cooperate with them, kind of like Pearl, and that's what got him a one-year show cause. But he kind of landed on his feet. He got a, a head coaching job in the junior college ranks, I think, at Northwest Florida State. Did a really good job there. I think he was like 62-5, and 62-6, and six, something like that, two years as a JUCO head coach, and then he came back to, to the NCAA level as an assistant at, w- at Wichita State, and then he took the head coaching job at East Tennessee State in the Southern Conference, led them to five straight seasons of 20 or more wins. Uh, had He went 30-4 and four the year before he was hired by Wake Forest. He's been at Wake Forest for two years now, and he took a Wake Forest program that was Oh my God! I mean, straight up in the dumps. They had one win. They had one winning season in the ten years prior to Forbes coming over and taking the job. He went six and sixteen in year one last year. This year, twenty three and eight. And right now, they're projected to be in the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to be in the NCAA tournament, even if they lose in the first round of the ACC tournament. That would make it a little iffy. I think they're playing Boston College, but they're probably going to be in the tournament. Almost certainly going to be in the NCAA tournament. He did that in. Two years from six and sixteen year one to twenty three eight in year two, and how did he do that? He nailed the transfer portal. Again, you don't as today's age college basketball. It's not necessarily about recruiting from the high school range. You still need to do that. But if you can get guys that are already ready made to be inserted in your program and be impact players year one, because a high school guy might not be ready year one. You see some of these guys, sure, but like 
most of them aren't really ready to be that kind of guy. So if you land an impact transfer, it can really have a bigger impact on your team, help you turn around a program far faster. And that's what happened to Wake Forest. He went out and got a guy named Alondis Williams from Oklahoma, who he then turned into the ACC Player of the Year this year. The dude went from averaging six points in his freshman year at Oklahoma, 6.7 points per game in his sophomore year at Oklahoma, to this year, 19.3. 19.3 in ACC Player of the Year. If that's not player development, I don't know what is. That's player acquisition, getting the guy in the first place, and then that's player development. I also love the offense he plays. It's up-tempo, it's modern, but it's not reckless like Tom Crean's version. Tom Crean tried to do that, but it was always reckless. He didn't hold his guys accountable, let them commit crazy, absurd turnovers. They didn't play a lick of defense. And look, Wade Forrest is not great defensively either, but they're better than what we are. They at least give effort on that side of the ball. So I do think Steve Forbes would be a flat-out home run hire. He literally hits every one of my criteria that I'm looking for in a new head coach, whether it's evidence turning a program around and doing it quickly, ability to create a really positive culture within the program. Players coach is attractive to transfer options, so these high-level transfer options. He can recruit. He can develop all of those things. He hits every single one of them. He's also just kind of a fun personality, which would be kind of fun to follow, so I would be in heaven if we hired a guy like Steve Forbes. That would be incredible. But the problem is, go back to the show cause thing. You guys know how we operate as university, especially you go back to the Jim Herrick days and that whole scandal. We just are very risk averse when it comes to hiring anyone who has any scintilla of a scandal that's part of their background, their resume. And for that reason, I just, I don't think that institutionally, we would make that higher. I just really don't. I want to believe that we would, but I just don't think that we would. It would have to be President Moorhead who would make that call. And I just don't know. I will say Moorhead, especially with football, has been a big, big supporter of athletics and maybe he would be willing to to give him a shot. I don't know. I mean, let's be real. Like, I, I'm not sitting here trying to advocate that we should just completely abandon all sense of integrity as a university and as an athletic department. Of course not. But what this guy got a show cause for is peanuts. It's nothing that multiple big-time college basketball programs haven't done themselves. I mean, basically, he just didn't want to cooperate and talk to the, to the NCAA. Now, you can call that obstruction if you want, but if that's obstruction, then so is how Kansas has handled their NCAA investigation. So is how LSU's handled their NCAA investigation. I mean, heck, they have LSU's head coach on tape saying, I made a big-ass offer to this recruit. I mean, they have him on tape. But they had just been playing hardball. North Carolina, with their entire fake degree program, just played hardball. They didn't really want to cooperate with them. They called their bluff. Auburn's done that in football for years. So, yeah, what he did, was it was it the right thing to do? Probably not. But it's just simply not so far beyond the pale that you can't take a risk on a guy like that and bring him in and see if you can turn your basketball program around. Auburn did it. Auburn did it with Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl got a show calls for basically the same thing, but far more egregious version of what... Steve Forbes got charged with, but that's why he got three years instead of one. But same thing. But look at where Auburn is right now. Don't you want to be Auburn basketball right now? I hate to say that. Oh my God, I want to vomit just saying that. But like, don't you want to be in the same position Auburn is in? Don't you want to be competing for SEC titles? Don't you want to be competing for for one seeds in the NCAA tournament? Not just like a chance to get in and off the bubble, but like an actual one seed, like being a contender for a national title. We got that in football, which is number one in my heart. Like I'll take that and, and be terrible at every other sport if that's what it has to be. But I would prefer Georgia be good at all sports, you know, like that's something that can happen. We can be that. We should be that. So I I would say it's worth the risk. I just 
knowing our university and our athletic department and how we operate, I just, I'm not confident that we would be willing to actually take that risk. So that's why he was not on my initial list. It wasn't that I was not aware that he was a guy that we, that was getting some conversation and that might be interesting in the job, but that's why I left him off. But he's also in the same position as any infield. Wake Forest has extended his contract. He has signed that deal. Now, does that necessarily preclude him from taking another job? Not necessarily, but just like USC, Wake Forest is also a private university, so they don't have to release the details that go along with that extension. Is there an added buyout? How much is the buyout? Is it is it prohibitive to where he's not going to be able to take another job or wants to take another job? I don't know. I don't know. I do think the fact that both Enfield and Forbes have signed contract extensions at their respective universities does probably mean that they are out of the running for our job, probably, but not necessarily. Again, there's precedent for it happening. It's just not very likely, I would say, which is unfortunate because both those guys would be home run hires, but I don't know if they were ever realistic hires in the first place. But hey, again, Josh Brooks, applause, man. I appreciate you taking shots at established big name guys that would um, get our program back in really good shape, I think, sooner rather than later. So I applaud him for that. I just don't know if they're as realistic. So what does that leave us with? Well, according to Chip Towers, if it's not one of those two guys, there are only two other candidates that we're on that list of, of coaching candidates that apparently our search has been narrowed down to. And of course, as we said, that would be Dennis Gates from Cleveland State and then Jonas Hayes, who I know a lot of people are high on as assistant coach coming from Xavier. And I know I said I was going to try to limit the conversation to those four names because those are the only four names that have actually been like reported by a legit reporter, a beat writer like Chip Towers. But I do want to quickly just throw out a couple more names that I would be at least taking a look at if I am Josh Brooks. Uh, I mentioned most of these names on the Hotboard episode that I did back in February, but just throw a couple of them. I'm not going to throw all of them out there. But Nico Medved from Colorado State is a guy that's been absolutely fantastic. When he took the, the Furman job years ago, they were 7-24 in two years, had them at 19 wins and 23 wins. He took Drake from 7-24, 9-22, um, to 17 and 17 in one season, and then got them rolling. He took Colorado State from 11 and 21 to 20 wins in year two, 20 more in year three, and they have over 20 wins again this year. So that's three straight years. So he's a guy that I would look strongly at. Now he's over on the West Coast. Does that mean he wants to make a move here? I don't know, but I would certainly take a long look there. I know Mark Pope's a name that's been mentioned, the head coach of BYU. I don't see him as realistic. He was on my list. Um, but I just still don't see him as re- as realistic. He's a very devout Mormon, and if he does leave BYU, he's a guy that could take a higher level job than where George is. I just don't see fit there. I just I just don't see that one at all. Wes Miller from Cincinnati, the guy that was at UNC Greensboro for a while, former North Carolina player. I would be highly highly excited if he ended up being the guy. But I, outside of me wanting him to be the guy, I haven't heard his name thrown around this job at all. Not really mentioned in connection with it whatsoever. So I don't think that's really a realistic possibility. I would love it. I just, I don't see it right now. Matt McMahon from Murray State. They just won the OVC again. They're going to the NCAA tournament. He's been flat out incredible there. Thing is, when you're talking about Murray State, they're always so good. So he didn't have a program where he turned around, but he certainly kept them on an extraordinarily high level of basketball. So I would be very excited if it was a guy like that. So there's a couple names. Grant McCaslin's another one from North Texas, but word is that he's kind of a Texas kind of guy. He wants to to stay in that area, but he's been fantastic there. Um, they have 18 or more wins every year the last five years since he's been there. They've won 20 games in four of those years. He spent six years as a Scott Drew assistant, but he is a Texas guy. They upset Purdue last year in the NCAA tournament. I just, I don't, again, I haven't heard his name mentioned in connection with this job whatsoever here in Athens. But if he didn't end up being the guy, and if we're looking for another guy to like take a look at, he would certainly be one to follow. But 
That's all I got for you today, guys. Obviously, as we get in next week and start to hear some more reporting on this job and who the candidates are, is that list going to shrink? Is it going to grow? Are new names going to be added? Like all of those things, we'll obviously be covering that because again, I love college basketball. I love Georgia basketball. I've been a season ticket holder and I want us to be good desperately. I love football and I'm so excited we won the national title and that, and I'm probably good for life. But that doesn't mean I don't want us to be good in other sports. And I, I think our basketball program is a program, I don't want to call it a sleeping giant, but even though we're the ugly duckling, to be an ugly duckling, there has to be potential. And I think we have that potential if we just find the right guy. So I'm highly interested in who this hire is going to be. I'm excited, guys. I'm excited because we do have a chance to make the right hire. Are we going to get it right? I don't know. We haven't gotten it right in a long time. You know, Jim Herrick was kind of right because he was a great coach. He won games, but obviously got us in a lot of trouble with the NCAA and that set our program back even further. So it's been a while since we hired the right guy, but I'm excited about that possibility. And I'll go back to Jonas and all the people are probably upset with me for saying that I don't think he should be a number one, number two, number three choice. And he's a backup option. But if he backup option or not, in my mind, if he ends up being the guy, I will get behind him and I'm open to it possibly being a good hire. I just think, again, it's, it's a riskier hire than some of these other guys that are on the list of names that are kind of still in contention for this job because he has no head coaching experience. He has no evidence they can turn a program around. We want to believe it. I want to believe it too, guys. I would love nothing more than us to have a guy like Kirby Smart, who is a, an alum, who cares about this program and wants to stay here and wants to build this program. I eat that stuff up. I love it. But I also want what's best for the University of Georgia and for our basketball program. And I'm just not sold necessarily that it's Jonas Hayes. It could work out. It could be fantastic. But I think we have to look at some of these other guys and expand our coaching search beyond just Jonas Hayes. It can't be what we do with Kirby and say, hey, this is Kirby Smart's job. Because Kirby Smart had a far better pedigree than what Jonas Hayes has had to this point in his career. But that's where we are with this, guys. We'll cover it more and more as we hear more information. But thank you guys for taking time out of your day. And let me know what you guys think, guys. I, I appreciate you listening, but let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on social media at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at glorygapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we just love to hear your thoughts on this. I, I know a lot of you like Georgia basketball. You're in Georgia basketball just like I am, but it's hard to talk Georgia basketball because no one really cares, but I care. So let me hear your thoughts on this hire. Tell me where I'm right. Tell me where I'm wrong. I know a lot of you probably are... Like I said, not too thrilled with me right now, kind of not bashing Jonas Hayes, but not being like all in on that hire. But let me know. Let me know what you guys think. I'd love to hear from you. Don't be a stranger. But thanks again for listening, guys. I appreciate it. I've also got to throw this out there real quick. If you get a chance to be in Athens this weekend, I was afraid it might rain, but the weather's looking good this weekend. We have two huge top 10 matches for the men's tennis program this weekend. We just moved back inside the top 10 with a great weekend last week, and we had two wins, two road wins last weekend at Vanderbilt, at Mississippi State. We're coming back home. We're number eight in the country right now. We're welcoming in number four Florida on Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon. I know it's not an ideal time, but make it out there. Even if you miss doubles, you get there around 4.35. You can still stay for the singles matches. Guys, I'm telling you, it's an incredible environment. I know that the students aren't going to be there this year because they're on spring break, and that sucks, but whenever we play Florida at home, it's always an insane, raucous environment at the McGill Tennis Center. And even though the students might not be there, or at least all of them might not be there, I'm still expecting much of the same. And if you have never taken in a Georgia tennis match, you can hear me say it all the time this time of year, if you've never taken one in, this is the one to come to. This is the one to check out. This is always the best environment every single year. It's crazy. It's rowdy. It's raucous. It's awesome. It's not like you think a tennis environment be where it's like, you know, country club-esque and everyone's quiet. No, it's rowdy. It's, it's a college environment, guys. It's a lot of fun. So come check that out. We got a chance to win this match. We played them a couple weeks ago. We ended up losing that match 4-2, but it was close. It was close, and we're kind of rounding into form now. Again, the doubles 
team is kind of really in a rhythm right now. I like where we are. Hamish Stewart on court one is playing lights out right now. He's going to have his hands full. He's playing the number two, in the team, number two player in the country in Ben Shelton. Their number two player was the was the actual singles national title winner last year, Sam Rafis. He's awesome. He actually dropped down to court two after our court one player, Hammond Stewart, beat him a couple weeks ago at the National Indoor Tournament. But it's going to be a fantastic match, guys. It really is. And on Sunday, we have South Carolina, number seven South Carolina, coming in at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So if you can't come Friday, I get the time's tough. Come Sunday. It's another great match. South Carolina, believe it or not, is that really developed into a really good tennis program. So come check it out, guys. Both going to be great environments. going to be a lot of fun. Top 10 matchups. So come support our tennis dogs. It's entirely free. I promise you, you will enjoy it. Even if you don't really understand tennis, you'll love it anyway. It's just awesome. This is Florida. You get to yell at Florida. You get to make fun of Florida. You get to heckle them and bark at them. And you can do the same thing for South Carolina. It's the Gamecocks, man. They want to be us, but they're not us. You can heckle them. You can yell at them. You can have a great time and you can learn tennis while you're there. When I started watching tennis, like my entire life, I never played tennis. I never played tennis. I didn't even really watch tennis my entire life. My entire life. I was a football, baseball, basketball guy. That's what I did year round. That's what I watched. That's what I played. That's who I was. And I got into college, and I was like, oh, it's a tennis thing. John Isner, this is interesting. And then right after I graduated, I started going to matches. I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I didn't really understand the scoring. And then I fell in love with it. And the more and more I watched it, the more and more I got into it. I learned. I started playing myself. And now I learned on. I, I know it on a different level. I'm still, not, I'm, I'm still a tennis novice, but I understand it on a different level now that I've started to play it. And it's just fun, guys. It's a lot of fun, especially in the football offseason. Why not? It's free. Come on up. Bring your family. Have a great time. Enjoy yourself this weekend. But whatever you do, have a great weekend. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>